Hi everyone, welcome to our podcast series, What About Us? Cultural Awareness in Clinical Practice. I'm Afsana. So in this episode, which is the last one for 2020, we're joined by the wonderful Myra Khan. But before I introduce Myra, both Kate and I want to take this opportunity to thank all our guest speakers who've given up their time to share their experiences, talk about some of the challenges that they face within practice, and also give advice for those who might be working within the profession right now, or who might be aspiring to do so in the future. So in this episode, Myra Khan, who's a qualified counsellor, um, she's a coach, a tutor, and she's also the founder of the Muslim Counsellor Network and Grow to Globe. So Myra shares her experiences of working within the profession. So let's have a listen to what she had to say. Myra, uh, I'm so uh, happy to have you here. Um, I know you're really busy, um, but we're really grateful to have you uh, with us for our podcast series here today. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you today. Okay, so um, I want to start with just first of all, um, just getting an understanding of who you are and what your journey is and how you got into clinical psychology and counselling in particular. Yeah, so where I am right now, before we kind of go back and where it all started from, so right now, um, in terms of my career, so I work as a counsellor, a supervisor, a coach. I also deliver workshop facilitation and training, and I'm also the founder of the Muslim Counsellor and Psychotherapist Network, MCAPN. So that's kind of a snapshot of where I am right now. But the journey kind of started off gosh actually kind of 13 years ago now it feels like such a long time um 13 years ago it started with with no idea that I was going to end up 13 years later where I am right now but 13 years ago I signed up for a 10-week introduction to counseling skills course and I was doing that at the time when I was working as a researcher at one of the Mm -hmm. universities and I was doing it purely as a side interest And that just very quickly then grew into going on and doing um, full training and becoming qualified as a counsellor. And so for the past 11 years, I've been working with clients. Wow, that's amazing. And it just sounds like you're doing all of this amazing work. And, you know, I've seen a lot of the stuff that you've done. Um, So, yeah, tell me a little bit about that then. So, So you started off with, you know, going into this uh, introduction session or you know this this course and then how did that develop through the years? Yeah so what I realised quite quickly was that I actually really enjoy counselling and what again started off I think more as an interest when I did my actual formal counselling qualification so the route into counselling there are many different routes into it but the route that I took was Following that 10 week introductory course, I went on and did a two year certificate in counselling skills. And that is kind of a prerequisite before you could then go in and do my your formal core training where you start working with clients and where you actually start your clinical practice. So off the back of doing that two year certificate, I thought, actually, what would it be like to work with real clients? Because at that point, it's all role plays and it's you're only really counselling and practising your skills with, with your peers in, in your class. 
And so this was back in 2009, I started my two year diploma. And I chose to do that two year diploma because it meant then that from week one of that training of that two year diploma, I would be seeing real clients. And that's the start of my 11 year clinical practice. And in those two years, I look back I look back now and go, gosh, I had no idea what it was going to evolve into. But I remember starting that two year diploma back in 2009 and thinking to myself, I just want to know what it's like to sit in a real, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a room with a real client with no idea that I was going to make it my career. I had no intention of even working or building it into a full time career at the time when I was on placement. Those first three years of my clinical experience was working with students at a student counselling service and I absolutely loved it. And even then, I remember at the time my ambition was, oh, wouldn't it be great if I just got a part time role here at the student counselling service, thinking that I might be working at the most. I was I was thinking myself lucky to even work there one or two days a week. And gosh, within a year or two of qualifying, I re- realized and recognized that actually I could do so much more with it. And so within within those first two years of qualifying, I started to build my own private practice. And so I've been working with pro- uh, privately and running my own private practice since 2013, 14. And that's evolved into a full time private practice where I also supervise, where within a year of that, I also started teaching, actually delivering teaching and training in counselling as well. So it kind of snowballed within two years of me qualifying to where I am now. That's absolutely amazing. And, uh, you know, I've had the pleasure of attending one of the conferences where you were presenting. And um, I just felt it was absolutely, you know, brilliant the way you talked about the concepts and you talked about, um, you know, core issues and concepts within within mental health um, in particular. Um, So I wanted to kind of touch up on that then. So I know that you've done a lot of work around BAME, you know, Black, Asian and minority ethnic groups. And, you know, you talk quite a bit about, you know, um, inequalities or, um, you know, the lack of equality within practice. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about that? How, How did that interest stem and, you know, what kind of got you to, sort of talk about some of these issues within your practice? I think the starting point for all of that was going back to that experience when I was on my diploma Mm. and it very much came from my lived experience of it, from both my lived experience of being a Muslim practitioner, a visible Muslim practitioner wearing the hijab. So it was from my lived experience, but also my clinical experience. And it was an And what's evolved then in absolutely talking about and addressing the inequalities within the profession and the inequalities within therapy and counselling or access to therapy and counselling stems from that experience in which being a student or trainee counsellor and being the only person of colour on the Mm. training course and there being absolutely no person of colour in Egypt, mm. in, 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 on either the teaching team, so none of the tutors were, 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 were people of colour, as well mm. as the people at my placement. So no one who was working at the time at the, in, in that university student counselling service was a person of colour. And mm. so for me, 
I went through um, my full three years of training, my core training, without coming across another person of colour as a, as a practitioner, um, as a trainee. Yes, I branched out and I went and started to access those spaces where there were people of colour practitioners. But I'm, I, was, I remember thinking, gosh, I've yet to come across another Muslim practitioner. Forget that, I'm yet to come across another Asian or Muslim or, or black or any other ethnic minority practitioner who was in a teaching supervisor or paid mm. role context. Yes, there were other people of colour on other training courses that I saw, but none, none on my own and, and none, as I said, in these senior roles. And I, mm. and I remember that's what started for me, the journey of going, well, why is this? And to fast forward, as you said, I now do a lot of work which focuses on both addressing the barriers and the, and, and the inequalities of accessing mm. the training by people of colour, but also the inequalities within the counselling profession and within the, um, within the practice itself, for which then counselling and therapy may not be then culturally sensitive. So I'm looking at it from both the practitioner perspective, what are the barriers to practitioners, to, to people of colour practitioners, but also what are the barriers to people of colour accessing and accessing really good culturally inclusive therapy? But that, you know, that's such an interesting point that you raised there, you know, you know talking about, um, first of all, being taught about, um, you know, diverse issues and um, I suppose um, ideas and concepts and challenges, but then also um, those on the other side of it as well, who are then accessing these type of um, training programs. So just just out of interest, then, so when you were doing a training, and I know that you've talked about a little bit about, you know, um, the lack of uh, people of colour um, who are delivering these training programs. So were you actually taught much about cultural competence and taught about um, working with diverse clients? Out of a, uh, in a nutshell, no, out of a oh, two-year um out of a two-year diploma, we were taught about working with di difference and diversity, and that's often the title that it's given. We were taught one day on it out of a two-year programme, for which I had the experience of watching what it felt like was kind of a standardised video that they used to explore working with difference and diversity, for which the counsellor in the video was white, middle-aged, middle-class, and that is very stereotypical, but also very, um, it is the average, the dominant average of, of people working, of practitioners in this field. And the client was a female woman of colour in a hijab. Mm. And that is what is positioned as working with difference and diversity. And I remember at the time flagging that up as a real problem, because what then is absolutely positioned as what's norm normative in the profession then is to be white, middle aged, middle class. And therefore, then to work with anyone who is different or, di or, or diverse is working with a client who is black or brown. And mm. somebody who may come, who may then come from a minority faith group, such as somebody who is Muslim. And I really struggled with that because I remember thinking, hold on a minute. I identify more with this client than I do with the practitioner. Right. And 
consciously, clearly there are problems with that. But unconsciously, I think there are far greater problems because what is it unconsciously teaching us? What are the messages in that that tell us then about what do we define as normative and average and who do we then define as different? And it others than minority and marginalised groups even more. Mm. And that's the training I got on working with difference and diversity. And I still use that as an example to this day of why I challenge the current standards or the current um, standards and trainings and ethics around what it means to work inclusively and working cross-culturally because for so many practitioners their training does not adequately cover working cross-culturally or working within diversity. Right so then what is it that you uh, propose or what you suggest that is different from the mainstream practice that's out there? The biggest shift for me that we can make in training is to absolutely move away from a normative position of whites, middle-aged, middle-class, and therefore then working with difference and diversity is the, that process of othering anybody else. Moving from that position of normative into a position of every single one of us, it works within diversity. We are always working with diversity because every single one of us as a practitioner will be working with a client who will have a different lived experience and social context to us. And therefore, then we are always working cross-culturally. We're, we're always working with somebody, with a client who is going to have a different lived experience to us because their identity is different to us. So we're moving away from what's deemed as normative and therefore everyone else is different to actually we are all diverse. And it moves us into a realm then of always being mindful and conscious of the identity of who we are as practitioners and then the identity of the client and therefore then we're always holding consciously in, in our minds then is that there are two identities in the room because there are two people in this therapeutic relationship therefore then we have to always think about and be reflective of well what is the relationship that, that is then being created between me and my client based on my identity and based on theirs right that Sorry, carry on. Sorry. What I was just going to say, what that means then is that the impact of that is then we are always working within diversity because I am diverse from my client and my client is diverse from me as opposed right. to working as opposed to working with diversity, which means that my client is diverse, but I'm not. That is uh, it's such a brilliant concept when you talk about it in that way. And I think that's so important, important as well, you know, the way you, you've talked about this and the way you've conceptualized it. Um, and I think often, you know, you do find that it is that sort of that normative process and the normative position that is talked about within um, mainstream clinical practice. Um, so it's really gr great to see that, you know, you're challenging that thought and, you know, those kind of um, ideas around cultural competence. So, you know, you talked a little bit about access then in terms of, you know, um, maybe those of who those of uh, who want to go in and really kind of grow within this field what kind of advice would you give them or what kind of the things that you think is important for them to consider when going into this field i 
I think there's a couple of things to consider. So if, if we're talking specifically around people of colour wanting to get into this profession, I think that there's kind of one thing, I think there's something around is as a trainee, I think it's about accessing training that's, that's appropriate and suitable. And I think that then is training that actually takes into consideration your identity and that there is a curriculum then that actually allows space to think about diversity and difference in a way that is respectful. And, and like I just mentioned, that in that sense of um, working within diversity and understanding the importance of, of understanding intersectionality. So I think mm. for new trainees or, pe or people of colour wanting to get into this profession, I think it's about ensuring that you access training then that actually allows for that space for you to grow as, as an individual practitioner. Alongside it, I would always advise advise then um, finding your tribe, you know, finding people that are going to support you in that journey. That may well be other peers on your course that also might have some of those shared experiences or similar experiences, as well as finding mentors within the field, finding people that are already perhaps already established or people that are already in those roles that you that you identify with or those roles that you want to grow into yourself are you starting to build up a network then of those other practitioners that can support you in your journey so I think there's something about what you what you need to do in terms of accessing training um, there's work can, that can be done around then building your tribe finding mentors identifying people that you can go to for support and then I think thirdly, there's something around who, holding on to one and identifying who you want to be as a mm. practitioner and how do you want to be working also long term in, in, in this um, field as well. Because there are so many different routes and roles to go down. I think you've all, always got to be mindful of, well, what is the work that you want to be doing? You know, what is your purpose behind what it is that you want to be doing as a counsellor? And, and fourthly, then, to also recognise that the field is very broad and diverse in the type of work you can be doing. So I would also recommend having a, a really good think about well, what else might you want to be doing alongside your clinical practice? Yes, you might want to be working with clients, but also, but are you also interested in supervision? You becoming a supervisor? Are you interested in delivering teaching or training? Are you interested in delivering workshops, um, writing books, creating podcasts? Like what else do you want to do to grow your portfolio? Um, mm. I think it's just really important that we understand that as people of colour, we have to work 10, 20 times harder to make it in any profession. And I think and, and that's the same with the profession of counselling and, and psychotherapy as well. And I, so I think it's really important to hold on to what's your purpose, what's your motivation behind it all, but also being hold on to your ambitions. Don't don't be made small by a profession that wants to keep you small or don't, you know don't lose track of your dreams and your goals of, of the work you want to be doing because I think it's really easy to get sidetracked or to be discouraged in what you want to be doing um, hold on to that really generous portfolio of work that you want to be doing and then just go for it
That's such brilliant advice, Myra. Thank you for that. Um, so, uh, you know, you talked about, you know, building a tribe and you talked about, you know, having that connectivity with others within the profession. So can you just talk about then, is that how you kind of came about developing or, you know, founding um, the Muslim Council Network? Is that how that developed? Absolutely, yes. The, the network started off absolutely from a place of me. I remember the, the day of me thinking um, the idea of sure or having the thought rather of surely I can't be the only one. Because literally up until the point of me establishing the network, I had not yet come across a single other Muslim counsellor. And I think for me, looking back, with having run the network now and everything we do with the, the network and all the output we do and all the, all the outreach work and all the support we offer to other Muslim practitioners, looking back on that day when I thought that and I literally established the network originally as a LinkedIn group, I, looking back now, what that actually says to me is that as a profession, there was no platform at the time in which minority groups were being seen. We were not visible. And so what very quickly grew from the idea of purely just networking and not feeling you're the only one to then it evolving into, right, how do we now make Muslim practitioners visible within the profession? How do we establish ourselves within mainstream services? Because what I very quickly recognised was that in setting up the network, there are actually loads, there are lots and lots and lots of us Muslim practitioners out there as Muslim counsellors, therapists, um, counselling psychologists, clinical psychologists, clearly a lot more practitioners who are working as psychologists um, but of course then those jobs tend to be more available in the mainstream and also um, many more jobs of that type available in public services and of course within the NHS but as counsellors and therapists there are very few roles I mean it's very competitive to get a paid job and so what I very quickly realised was that many Muslim practitioners, they, they do exist, they existed, but they were working in private practice. And so because of that, then they were very hidden. They were hidden within their communities and not visible within the mainstream. So what, again, what very, what grew and what evolved very quickly is one of the aims of the network was not only to establish Muslim practitioners as existing and working and being visible within the mainstream profession, but also then how do we create a platform and how do we promote Muslim practitioners and hence why we then created the Muslim counselling directory as part of our network so one of the services and resources we offer through the network is that Muslim counselling directory so anybody now who wants to find and access and work with a Muslim counsellor or therapist or, or counselling psychologist can go, jump straight onto our website and search for one. Right. I mean, that's that's brilliant. And, you know, it's great to see that, you know, you're able to sort of build this community um, and offer sort of a niche service, shall we say. Um, so I'm just conscious of time because I know that, you know, you're very busy as well and we're going to be coming to the end of um, this interview. So is there anything that you want to talk about in terms of, you know, what you've been doing recently? Because I know that you've, you've been doing a lot of work um, around um, I saw a uh, one of your posts around Grow to Glow, and I thought that was fantastic, your TED Talk. Um, and, you know, you've got so many projects going on. What 
what can we expect from you over the next, I don't know, next year or forthcoming years? Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> a lot. Um, yeah. Um, I like it. Yeah. I, again, absolutely. With the network, that's growing, that's evolving. So there's a lot more happening with the network and, and plans to actually offer more resources and services through the network um we have lots of plans for 2021 with with the network um including um additional support groups for practitioners so uh, as a muslim practitioner yes we hold our monthly meetups we also hold a monthly online peer supervision group so we've been doing that for the last few years but moving forward it's also about offering those additional more niche support groups for practitioners so um, we also are doing a um, a book club. So we're launching our book club in, in January um, for our members of the network. So with the network that's evolving and growing, of course, the counselling directory is going as we get new, more members joining and more, and more practitioners qualifying and going into private practice. Alongside that, yes, as um, with my kind of clinical hat on, I obviously have my Myra Khan counselling, so that's all of my clinical work with count, with clients and also with supervisees. I also deliver teaching and training, so I'm a counselling tutor. And yes, as you've mentioned, with Grow to Glow, that's my coaching service. And right. through Grow to Glow, there's a number of things happening with Grow to Glow, and that certainly evolved after the last year. Um, absolutely since I did my TED talk um, last December, it was, where Grow to, Grow to Glow was launched. That is all about well-being and self-care and emotional health. So mm. that is something that I see as complementary to counselling and therapy, because, of course, whilst counselling and therapy offers that emotional support, therapeutic coaching allows for us to work more holistically with and complementary to counselling and therapy to also think about what else can you do to support your emotional health alongside therapy. So with Grow to Glow, we offer a monthly online event that started this year called Soul Food Servings. And that essentially is a slice of some self-care every month. So we hold that for free online on Zoom. And every month we pick a theme that we think is important to our emotional health or our mental health. And it's a space for people to come together and it's a free open event. So you don't need to be a practitioner. So it's open to, to, to the general public. It's a space to come along and to explore that particular aspect of your personal development. So, for example, these last few months, we've covered issues around narcissistic relationships. We've covered the issue of procrastination and perfectionism and self-sabotage. We've covered the theme of envy and envious attacks. So we've covered themes that are all about aspects of ourselves that we want to work on or aspects in relationships that can often cause unhealthy or toxic relationships so that soul food serving is a space for us to work on that particular area in our life all around relationships with grow to glow i also deliver lots of workshops and trainings on as i've mentioned emotional health mental health and well-being so for example at the end of this month i'm delivering a workshop on creating vision boards so a lot of people may have heard about vision boards but don't know how to create them so between my network between Myra Khan counseling and, and and then grow to glow it's a very holistic approach to supporting people whether that's practitioners directly or supporting individuals and their well-being 
Myra, you sound amazing. And like you're doing so much. And I, I absolutely love the fact that you, especially with the Grow to Glow, that you've made it available. It's free to the public, you know, it's free to those who are interested. Um, and I really think that, you know, it's it's great that you're doing that and you're really kind of going above and beyond the sort of counselling um how the counselling role that you have and you're you're really kind of expanding on um a broad range of um you know broad range of things that support that kind of role that you've got there as well so uh, that, that's amazing I think um you know thank I just want to thank you so much because you've provided you know in such a short space of time you've just talked about you know all of these amazing things that you're doing um and you know I'll definitely sort of you know plug in um the information about your grow to glow because I think that'll be very useful especially in the current times that we have you know with COVID-19 you know the lockdown that we're going through and, and, and I um, I only think that this will be very useful for those who want to, you know, participate in that. So was there anything else that you wanted to add in um, before I have to let you go? I, I think we've, pretty, we've covered so much. I, I, think there's just some, <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's just something for me, which is around for anyone who wants to get into this profession, whether it's via the, the counselling route, whether it's via the coaching route, the, the the main thing that I want to advise and support people on is is to really go for it. There are a lot of people in this profession who can struggle. There are a lot of people in this profession who can be very vocal on how hard it is to make it in the profession. And actually, I want to counteract that and say that you can act, absolutely make a a career working within this profession it's about getting the right support around you and having the right tribe and the right mentors and also making sure that your mindset is also one that is positive and one that is encouraging yourself in order to to go for it a lot of the negativity and criticism that you may come across about how hard it is and for somebody like myself, who both visibly as well as through my identity can have so many barriers in my way to make a go of it. Yes, there are barriers there. If you have, as I said, if you have the right mindset, you also have um, the motivation and the real desire to want to succeed. And then you have the right people around you supporting you, genuinely supporting and encouraging you you can actually make a real good go of it. I, I've been able to, I'm very, really blessed to have been able to do that myself, but it's also why I give back through the network as well and why I give back through so many platforms and avenues to encourage other people to also um, be able to go out there and do their thing as well. So I'm somebody that, that I will be there to support and encourage other practitioners who want to make it in this field to, to feel that they're not on their own doing it. That's that's brilliant. Thank you so much, Myra. And, um, you know, it's been so lovely speaking to you and, you know, to kind of talk about all of these. And, and I think, you know, you kind of raised one uh, you know, lovely point at the end of this is by saying that, you know, you're giving back and you're really encouraging and pushing others to succeed as well. And I think that's so important to to really do that as practitioners, especially for those who are new in the field or who are you know thinking about going into clinical practice. So I think that, you know, having mentors, supervisors and so on who really sort of um, allow others to flourish within the field is, is vital.
Yeah, absolutely. I would never want anyone to feel that they are alone or on their own in this field. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Um, and, you know, hopefully we'll get to, you know, speak some more and maybe meet up at some time. But thank you so much for joining me today, Myra. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening in. Um, I again want to just extend my gratitude to all our guest speakers who've given up their own time out of their own goodwill to share their experiences. And we hope that we can continue these conversations in the future. Thank you to all our listeners too who have given us such positive feedback and we hope that we can improve in the future. So I'm going to pop a link in um, just as a quick feedback form. Um, if you could just fill that in, just let us know how we're getting on uh, and how we can improve and hopefully we can do better. Again, thank you so much from Kate and I to each and every single one of you. We hope you have a restful break um, and we'll see you in the new year. Bye.